we're going to be in starting off in Acts chapter 2 this morning. You can turn there, Acts 2. We looked at this passage previously in verses 42 to 47 when we looked at the mission of the church. And uh, we've looked at a number of different areas for the church as we've been in this series on the church. And I want to revisit this passage in just a moment in, in Acts chapter 2. But I want to begin by asking um, you, if I were to say to you, what are your responsibilities as a member of the body of Christ? I wonder uh, what you would come up with. And I'm not asking you to respond. I don't, I don't want everybody just yelling them out. But if I said, hey, what comes to your mind when I ask, what are your responsibilities as a member of the body of Christ? What would come to your mind? Um, you know, the, the word of God's very clear about the responsibilities of the believer in Christ, of the child of God, of those that are part of the body of Christ. Uh, we see example after example given in Scripture in regards to the work of the body of Christ and the members of the body of Christ. But how many of us know what those are? Uh, you know, early on with our kids, uh, we have four children, as you know, most of you, four girls, and, and they're younger. And early on with them, when we would have something around the house that we wanted them to do or chores that needed done, or we asked them to help out around the house, uh, it might look something like this, like, hey, the dog has to go outside. Who wants to take the dog out? Nothing, right? <laughs> no one's volunteering to take the dog out. And, and now, if I ask a question, if I'm like, hey, who wants to do, well, uh, this is what they do now, they'll say, not it, not it, not it, like everybody responds with, like, not it. And then the last person's like, oh, because they didn't respond. And I'm like, I don't care. You, no, you take her out. Like, I'll, I just point out who it's going to be. But my point is, when I would ask for volunteers, how many of you have ever heard the, the response from whether it was a coach or a teacher or someone that was like, hey, volunteer or what? Victim. How many of you have ever heard that? Volunteer or victim? Anybody hear that? Put your hand up if you've heard that before. I need a volunteer or a victim. And what that means is if someone doesn't volunteer, someone's going to be a victim because they're going to get chosen to do this. And so that's kind of how things worked for a little bit in our house with the kids really young, a volunteer or victim. No one would volunteer, and so we would just point to someone and say, do it. Well, now we, we've, we've become structured where we have chore charts uh, in our house where the kids know on a daily basis what chores they are supposed to participate in and what activities that they're supposed to, with a smile on their face, complete. Because we have to schedule it for them and show it to them because on their own, even if they see something needing done, they're not just going to go do it. Uh, which I'm happy to say now they start to do that a little bit, but, but early on they didn't. And so we had to make it very clear and point out to them, this is what your responsibility is. This is what you need to do. Here's the day that you need to do it on, so make it happen, right? I think a lot of times as believers in Christ, we need that. A lot of times as believers in Christ, we might know what it is God wants us to do. We might have an understanding or recollection of something we've read in God's word or something that we're uh, available to God if he needs us, but proactively we're not necessarily doing those things. And so I feel like it's important this morning as we take a look at the responsibility of members that we would open our eyes and open our hearts to what God's word says and that as a member of the body of Christ today, you would be willing to receive this and say, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me today and every day to put these things into practice in my life? Because that's what God has called us to is obedience. And so as we open God's word today, these aren't just suggestions. These aren't just like, hey, who would like to? This is, no, this is what God says and what God expects of you and of me. And sometimes that's difficult, especially when there are those those callings or those responsibilities that we're not too thrilled about because they're a little bit harder. 
and yet God has called us to these things. And so I want to start in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, to remind us of the early church, the earliest church, and what was going on in the church, the earliest church in Acts chapter 2. It says, they devoted themselves, this is speaking of the people that were added to the number of the church that's meeting, that's assembling. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right away, understand that there was an understanding on the part of the members of the body of Christ that were meeting, that they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the prayers. They were receiving the word of God. They were obeying the word of God. They were devoted to that teaching, and they were under the leadership of godly leaders. They were placing themselves under that authority. It says, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. There was a camaraderie and a unity amongst the body of Christ. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There was an understanding of the care that they were to have for one another under the teaching and authority of the word of God, under those godly individuals that were leading them and guiding them. They were sharing with one another. They were caring with one another. They were desiring to meet needs together. It's one of the reasons why we're so blessed at Maranatha by our body that gives faithfully to be able to meet the needs that are present within the body, and and you should be commended for that. But they were doing that here in the early church, and it says that day by day they were together. Day by day they were assembling together, and they were uh, eating together, and they were fellowshipping together, and they were receiving all that they had with glad and generous hearts. And along the way, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And God, the Lord, was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the picture of the earliest church. We touched on this. We looked at this particular passage weeks ago with an understanding of how how amazing and how uh, fresh and beneficial this seemed to be. When you read these verses in 42 to 47, you get the picture of a functioning body that together is growing in Christ. They're making an impact for Christ. They're caring for one another, and they're following Jesus, and they're obeying the teaching of the Word of God. And so as we go to the Word of God this morning and we ask, what are the responsibilities of members? There were many different ways that, that this message could go and many different things that could be said and many different things that could be received as challenges as far as what does God want of us as members of the body of Christ. And so what I chose to do this morning is really zero in on what the Word of God shares by way of one another's of the word of God, of how God desires for you and I as believers in Christ, as members of the body, of what he desires of us towards one another. What are the responsibilities that are there? Now, we've already mentioned in Acts 2 that clearly the first responsibility that we're not even talking about this morning, because we already talked about this, is that we have to place ourselves under the authority of the word of God. If you remember when we were talking about the responsibility of leaders, it was to faithfully proclaim and teach the word of God. It was to faithfully lead in the body of Christ. And so it's a given this morning that the primary, really, responsibility that you and I have as a follower of Jesus Christ is one of obedience, where we are glorifying him and making him known because he's called us to that. So clearly the responsibility we have as a follower of Christ, as any member of the body of Christ, 
is to follow Christ, to make Christ known, to make his name great, to be obedient to his word, to submit to the leaders that God has placed over us. But I want to focus again on the relationship between one another within the body and the responsibility that is there as members. And so let's begin. These are not in any particular order of importance. There are 59 times, I believe, that, that one another, or 59 one another's that show up through the New Testament scriptures as far as relation. We're not going to cover all 59, so don't worry. Some of you are like, we're going to be here a long time. We're not going to cover all 59. I, I really, this morning, just want to focus on some of those one another's. And again, no particular order. But number one, love one another. Would you say that with me? Love one another. This should be nothing new this morning. If you're here and you've been here for any amount of time, you know God's word calls on you and I as members of the body of Christ to love one another. Jesus said this in John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Think of the love that God is calling you and I to love each other with. This is an incredible kind of love. Listen, the word of God calls on husbands. Husbands, if you're here today, the word of God calls on you and I as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. God, God wants that as husbands to our wives. But listen, here's what's amazing. The standard Jesus gives for those that are members of the body of Christ, for those that know Jesus, is that we would love one another even as he has loved us. Now, I don't know about you, but We could stop there this morning and we could be like, let's get on our knees and repent and ask God for forgiveness because we don't do this all the time. Love one another as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. But look at what he says, you're to love just as I have loved you, Jesus says. I I want you to consider that for a moment. And again, This is a challenge I'm giving to myself as well this morning. When was the last time that we can truthfully say that we demonstrated that kind of love to one another in the body of Christ? And I'm not talking about your family, because yes, you should love your family. The the believer in Christ is not just outside your family. In your family, you should love that way. But when was the last time that you and I demonstrated the same love that Christ has loved us with to one another within the body of Christ? Obviously, that's a selfless love. That's a sacrificial love. It's a love that puts others before ourselves. It's a love that does not take uh, ownership of what is good for ourselves, but rather what is good for others. It's an incredible command that Jesus gives to us. And here's what's staggering about this command. And again, we could say that we could just say that one command and we could be done for the day. Because if we're honest, if you're doing that, all of these other one another's are going to be happening. If we're loving one another just as Jesus loves us and loved us, all of these other one another's that are going to come that I'm going to share this morning, they're going to happen. They're going to happen if we're doing this first one. But here's what's amazing about this is in 1 John chapter 1, or I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, this is what John says, Beloved, let us love one another, repeating again the command that Jesus gave, for love is from God, and look what he says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. Look what he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God 
and knows God. You want to know how you know that you are born of God? You want to know how you know that God has transformed your life and the life of the person sitting next to you? We know this by our love for one another. It goes so far as to say, Jesus would say this as well as John would reiterate this, if we say that we love him and we do not keep his commandments, then we're liars. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what was Jesus saying? A new command that I'm giving to you is to what? To love as I've loved you. This is the mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. Love one another. That's a pretty remarkable command. Again, uh, such a high standard that Jesus would lay out for the believer in Jesus Christ. And can I share with you today, you and I are incapable of doing that. We are incapable of fully obeying that command apart from the Spirit of God enabling us to do just that. Sinful, dead, old self cannot do this. But through the power that God gives through the Spirit of God living within us, He has enabled us as those that are alive in Christ to love just as He has loved us. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? And Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If we say that we love Him and we don't love one another, our brother, we're liars, John would say, and the truth is not in us. Again, we could stop right here, couldn't we? We could stop right here. I wonder this morning is, is maybe God put someone on your mind or your heart that you're like, man, I really need to love that person. Doggone it. Has God put someone on your mind or heart this morning that's in your mind and heart? Their face is right there. You can't get rid of it right now because you're like, I have to love that individual. Because that's what God's called me to do. This should be a motivation of our hearts as believers in Christ to love one another. Secondly, to serve one another. And as I mentioned before, if we're doing that first, these other ones all will fall into place, but we're going to cover them anyhow because it's good to be reminded. Serve one another. Jesus would say, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. This passage in John chapter 13 is an absolutely amazing passage because Jesus is going to demonstrate servant leadership. He's going to demonstrate a servant-like heart and a servant-like attitude and servant-like leadership. Jesus would wash the disciples' feet. The Son of God would wash the disciples' feet, and he would say, just as I have done to you, you also ought to do to one another. Jesus would say of himself, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So just as we saw we're to love one another, we're to serve one another. Jesus called us to do that. In Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now that we have this opportunity and that we have an opportunity to live a life that's pleasing to God, now that we have opportunity because we are no longer bound by the flesh, we are no longer slaves to sin, he says, listen, don't use the freedom that you have. Don't use the freedom that you have as an opportunity for yourself. Instead, serve one another. Have you ever served someone before? Have you ever done something as a servant for someone that you've served them out of love and out of a desire to glorify the Lord and out of a desire to be obedient to the Lord and you serve them and you see what that produces and the response they give and you think, man, I want to do this all the time. 
Have you ever done something that after you've done that, you're like, man, this just felt so good to do this. I'm going to do this all the time. I remember on missions trips, and I've shared this before, like everybody becomes a super Christian on missions trips. Whether youth groups or adults, there's something about going either overseas or in a different culture or in a different area that when you get on that plane or you get off of that bus or you get off of that vehicle and you land in the spot that you're going to be serving, you are ready to serve. Youth group kids, I'll never forget youth group kids that, that we would go on missions trips and you could go on a missions trip and you could be like, all right, here's what I need. I need someone tonight who's willing to go clean those bathrooms because they haven't been cleaning in like six years and it's filthy, it's nasty, it stinks. Who wants to do it? And everybody's like, I'll do it, I want to serve. And everybody's ready to go. But like back home, mom and dad would be like, who wants to take the dog out? And be like, I'm not taking the dog out. Why? Well, I'm on a missions trip. This is what I do on a mission. I serve. But have you ever gone somewhere or served or done ministry and when you've served and you were there, you're like, man, I'm going to do this all the time. You go, go on a missions trip and you're serving at a, a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen and you're there and you're serving and people are blessed. You're serving and you're glorifying Christ and you're doing something for the name of Jesus and, and people are blessed and you're there and while you're there, you're like, man, I'm going to do this all the time. Next year when I come back, right? And it's a year before that ever happens again. Why? Because we have this mentality when we go on a missions trip, or if you've ever been on a missions trip, of why am I going on this trip? I'm going on this trip to serve Jesus. And so my eyes are open to serve Jesus. People who have never shared the gospel with anybody before, when they go on a missions trip, they're ready. People who would never in a million years approach someone with a gospel tract or approach them and say, hey, can I just ask you about your relationship with God? They would never do that. But when they're on a missions trip, they do that. Why? Because that's why they're there. And how hard is it to reprogram our thinking, reprogram our minds that our life is that trip, right? Our life is to be that missions trip. Our life is to be that opportunity that's there to love, to serve, to make Christ known. Not just when we're out of our our familiar area and doing something that's specifically called a missions trip. You and I as believers in Christ are on that trip all of our lives. To serve Christ. To make Christ known. To serve one another. Listen, you're serving someone today. Is it Christ? I'm serving someone today. Is it Christ? Is it self? Serving one another is an opportunity to serve Christ and be obedient to him. Number three, encourage one another. Encourage one another. In Hebrews 3.13, the writer of Hebrews says, exhort one another every day. Encourage one another. And look at what he says. Every day. Every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, here's what's really interesting about this passage in in Hebrews. Is that there's a calling on the believer, a responsibility on the part of the believer to encourage one another every day. And he gives the reason why. He's like, so that way you do not grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How many of you have ever had someone at just the right time give you an encouraging word that built you up in the Lord? Have you ever had that happen? Put your hand up if you've ever had that happen. Some of you don't have your hands up. And, and, and if you've never been on the receiving end of encouraging word in Christ, if you've never been encouraged by someone that's a brother or sister in Christ, that's because our brothers and sisters in Christ together, collectively, we fail at this. 
We are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage one another daily, he says, every day. I wonder, how long does it take? How long does it take on a daily basis if God puts someone on our mind that we think, man, God, help me, if, if our prayer to God is, God, help me to encourage someone in the body of Christ today, and God puts someone on your mind or your heart, how long does it take to take out your phone to text them an encouraging word? Hey, brother, sister, praying for you today. I hope you're doing well. How long does it take out of our day? And yet, what is it that we typically do? Like, oh, man, I should get around to encouraging them. Or I should pray for them. And we don't. I was driving the other day and, and was passing by someone's house and uh, God really impressed on my heart like to pray for that person. And so I did and I wanted to encourage them and let them know that I was praying for them. And, and you get a response back from the individuals when you tell them that you prayed for them and they're like, you'll never guess, you'll never know what I was going through when you said that. Have you ever had that happen? Where God has pressed someone on your heart or your mind and and you've sought to be an encouragement to them, and they get back to you, and you're like, I can't believe you did that at just that moment because I needed that. I needed that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that, where you are down and your prayer to God is like, God, I don't even know if, you, I don't even know if you're there. I don't even know if you care. You're discouraged, and then someone randomly texts you, calls you, shows up at your doorstep to pray with you or to care for you, to encourage you. There's no other explanation apart from our God cares, he knows, he sees, and he wants to use the body of Christ to encourage you daily. That's God's plan. That's the responsibility we have. Listen, a lot of responsibilities, like I mentioned the chore chart, kids will look at the chore chart and they'll look at the chart and they'll be like, oh, today's the day I got to do that, and they're not thrilled about it. As a believer in Christ, when we list these, don't all of these just sound good? <laughs> when, is there anything on here that we're talking about that you would listen and be like, man, I got to go encourage my neighbor? Like, is there anything on there? Is there anything on there that we're talking about that when you hear about it, you're like, doggone it, today's the day I got to do that? No, everything on here should bring a smile to our face and joy in our spirit and encourage us as we do these things because these are good things that God has called us to do for one another. And we know that. And yet, why don't we do it? You ever talk to someone who maybe hasn't exercised in forever and then they start exercising and they get back and they're like, how'd it go? And they're like, oh, it was great. I feel so good whenever I'm doing that. I think I'm going to do it again like in three years. I'm going to go back. You know what I'm talking about when you do something, you're like, that was just great. I got to do that every day. And then we never do it. That, that's so often is what happens, isn't it, when it comes to these things? These are good things that God has called us to do. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another. Number four, Here's where maybe this is the one that after we just talked about or any of these things, like, oh, I have to do that. This one might be that. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. Now, understand something. We're not going to get into this big understanding and doctrine theology of forgiveness today. We don't have time to do that. Another time, we'll do that. I'm happy to do that. I'd love to do that. I'd love to talk about that further, deep. Let's go. But forgiving one another does not always mean there's complete restoration with one another. And again, we can talk about that further another time, but we are called to forgive. In Colossians chapter 3, 12 and 13, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, what's the word there? Let's say it louder. Must. We don't like that. 
So you also must forgive. Tug on it. We were going good, right? We were going good. Love, yes. Serve, yes. Encourage, yes. Forgive. Eh. You must forgive one another. That's hard sometimes. But can I tell you today that if you're embracing and holding on to bitterness, anger, resentment towards a brother and sister in Christ, who, by the way, you will spend all of eternity with, and I I wouldn't put it past the Lord and be like, yeah, guess who you're rooming next to? (laughs) If we're holding on to all of that, we're not living in the joy that God has truly created us to live in as his children. We need to forgive one another. Number five, again, this is one of those ones that maybe fall into the category of, eh, confess to one another. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Contextually, what's happening in James 5 is we talked about this as well under the responsibility of leaders to pray. In James 5, it's if someone is sick, let them call for the elders of the church that they will come and they'll anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick. But what God calls all believers to, and this is something that he says, he's addressing this to the congregation now, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. We have a responsibility in this regard. I don't know how many of you have an accountability relationship or people that you have that you can talk to and you can share anything with, but there is something freeing about confession to one another. Now, don't misunderstand this. Our forgiveness is not based upon our penance or confession to one another. Forgiveness is found through Christ, and we confess to God, and we confess our sins to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. We do not confess to one another because we need forgiveness. We confess to one another because that brings encouragement. It can bring restoration. It can bring a sense of encouragement when we confess to one another. And you know what that's like if you've done that. Confess to one another. We have to hurry. Be patient with one another. Number six, again, eh, first three, these are good. Next three, right, be patient with one another. I purposely put these right in the middle, okay? Put these ones right in the middle. They were in random order, but they really weren't. The first three were like really, like, yes. Next three, right, be patient with one another. Ephesians 4, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I, bear with one another, okay? I mean, Paul, Paul put it pretty clearly. There should be patience with one another. Real quick, number seven, back to some good things. Care for one another. They're all good, but back to ones that were like, yeah, care for one another. He says this, care for one another, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted towards each other. We look back at that Acts chapter 2 passage, there's very clearly the presence of complete care for one another. Number eight, pray for one another. We already looked at the James passage. God desires that you and I as believers would pray for one another, that we would encourage one another daily. That's through prayer, through service. We have an opportunity to glorify God. Number nine, inspire one another. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meat together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to stir one another up to love and to good works. We need to inspire one another in our walk with Christ. And then number 10, be at peace with one another. Finally, brothers, rejoice, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Be at peace with one another. All of these one another's, and there's many more, are only possible through the power that God gives through his spirit. But can you imagine what that would look like for everybody in this room if you were the recipient of these one another's? If you were the recipient of these one another's, if you felt loved by one another, if you felt peace with one another, if you felt prayer, encouragement, inspiration, joy from one another, what that would look like. We want to share with you this morning uh, a testimony from a family within our church of how the body of Christ and all that the body of Christ did isn't even really completely seen and summarized in this video because there's so much more that couldn't be included for the time. But this is a, a family in the body of Christ that were recipients of the body and the one and others. I want you to take a look at this. We are the Palmer family, and we want to introduce us. This is my beautiful wife right here, Tammy. <laughs> this is Hope, <laughs> laughing Hope. This is little Hannah, and Nikki, Gloria, and Jesse, and I am Jim. Uh, our journey did start uh, 10 years ago. Nikki was our first daughter home, and she was so great. We're like, we need to do this again. <laughs> we knew we were being prepared for another adoption, and uh, we did not feel all used up yet. And uh, suddenly, uh, we started the paperwork for Hannah before we ever spotted Hannah. And uh, there was this video of Hannah uh, with the way that Hannah uh, was perfectly made by God walking uh, bent over uh, that completely captured us. And it was in that video that we realized that this was... This is our daughter. Hannah has a rare condition, a superpower we call it, called Larson syndrome. It is so rare that there's not a whole lot of her like her. And uh, it affects joints and it affects bones. And uh, a lot of things, they just don't bend or they move differently. So for Hannah, uh, it affects the, the feet, the legs, the, the knees, the elbows, uh, the neck, the spine, those type of things. So our main focus was on uh, the things that we could you know, possibly correct, and that would be um, start with the knees, because she was stuck bent over uh, and uh, not able to stand up at all and certainly uh, walk. So when we got to China and we were there with her, how precious she was. And uh, we, were, we were communicating back and forth and we were getting ready to leave her providence of nanning. She, uh, she was talking with the, the guide and uh, the guide, uh, like they're laughing, you know, can I take control of the playroom? Can I, you know, do I have, how big is my bedroom? And all these things. And then the, everything got really quiet and his face turned very somber. <laughs> and, he said, she just asked you, will I ever walk? And I'm like, wow, that's a big question. I mean, like, how can you answer that at that moment? 
And I just remember saying to her, you tell her that her mommy and daddy are going to do everything that we can in God's power to help her with that. And so we came home with her and we started getting her strong. We started immediately trying to seek the best medical attention for her. And as you all know, the time was quite short because the pandemic hit. So we were in the midst of trying to figure it all out. And we were getting absolutely nowhere because her condition is so rare that it hasn't been treated here in our area. Uh, so there aren't very many like her here. And what we learned was not what we could accept. We learned that we could get straight legs, but they would probably not bend. So that means that her legs would be stuck out. And uh, that was not an option. We finally had a plan, and that was Hannah needed to go see specialists. And those specialists were in Florida. We did not have insurance for that. We did not have an income from our regular livelihood for that. Uh, but this is what what would be needed to be done. And we already knew in our spirit, we knew before Hannah came home, we already knew that that was probably what was gonna be needed. The friend reached out and she said, God has told us to give some money towards Hannah's surgery. We know that you're you know, coming towards this and could you get us a tax donation? So it was at that time that I reached out to the church and I said uh, to the pastor, I said, this is what our friend is asking for and they would like to know if you'd run it through benevolence. And the way the benevolence program set up is a gray area to do something like that. It's, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And so the answer to that was no. But somehow, unbeknownst to us, God was working because the church leaders uh, came together and they thought that doing something for Hannah is where God was leading them to. And may I say, doing something for Hannah is a, a little bit of an understatement. A very, we got a phone call that absolutely <laughs> Florida's. I mean, when literally, like, literally, on, Florida put it put us on the ground. Uh, I remember we were we were working down in the basement, and I believe it was Rob, wasn't it? Rob's, yeah, Rob. Rob Stop called up and said, uh, "Guys, we're gonna we're gonna take care of it." And it's like, "Gonna take care of what?" And he said everything. So we, uh, Hannah's surgery would obviously. Be, I'm not really sure exactly. I mean, her surgery is probably close to. A, you know, three-fourths of a million dollars, definitely over somewhere between a quarter of a million, or half a million and a million dollars. It's two, two legs, eight hours, six days in the hospital for each leg, intensive therapy. We were in intensive care for two days each and then an intensive physical therapy. Uh, and so we did get insurance finally after many phone calls trying to get private insurance for somebody who has a condition such as this that's obviously going to be costing a very lot of money. We brought our big God and our faith down there. We were blessed. We had a lot of fear and a lot of different things, and we were blessed with God giving us the knowledge to introduce to her a mighty Jesus roar. And a mighty Jesus roar is something that carried us through our darkest days. It carried us through fear. It carried us through pain. It carried us through... It, it was, it became, a, everyone in Florida is roaring, okay? Every doctor, every surgeon, every physical therapist, we all know, it became a theme down there. It was, it was our faith move mountains, here comes Hannah. Do you wanna share with, maybe somebody needs a roar for their health or their healing, or maybe you can teach them your Jesus roar, and they can roar with us too as you finish your treatments. Okay. Okay. Sunny And that's how this mighty child of God uh, 
who placed her faith in Christ to take care of this situation, got not only herself through, but a whole lot of us through, was this beautiful Jesus roar. So, you know, here we are today, you know, uh, we still don't have our trade shows back, and we have legs that have been operated on, we have legs, the bills are paid because of the body of Christ. We were in a checkmate position, what would we be able to do? He put us in a checkmate position, and it has all been taken care of, and we are so thankful. As her parents, who was asked that mighty question, will you do this for me, new parents? Will you help me walk? And to see her not only walking, to see the wheelchair parked away, to see her braces coming off, to see her running, riding a bicycle already, and it's only been, we came home in March, we got back home in March, so it's only been a handful of months. She is way ahead. To see God work in this mighty way has been amazing. It's taught us so much, and we're so thankful to everyone to help us to get to this place that we are today because we did not do this in our own strength. We did it in his strength, but we also didn't do this in our own means. We did it because the body came together. So we reach out to our church family and we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It couldn't have been done without you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, body, body of Christ. Christ. Yeah, what an encouragement. Um, and, and what a testimony. So many uh, within the body that responded and wanted to help meet that need um, and, and the Lord enabling us as, as a body to be able to meet needs that were there. And uh, what a testimony. But uh, I feel like that is just a small picture of what it looks like when the body of Christ does what the body of Christ is called to do for one another. Um, when we're called to do these things. Um, just incredible. Incredible. I want to close by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know this morning we've jumped around to a lot of different passages. We typically are within one particular passage and go through it. And today, because of the nature of the message and, and looking at all these one another's, we wanted to, to make sure we shared scripture verses that were relevant to each of the one another's. But I want to close by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want this to be a reminder for us as we go from here. This is each one of us that knows Christ as Savior. Don't forget this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? 
But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ, members of it, if you know Christ as your Savior. We have a responsibility to Christ in serving him to these one another's that we've looked at this morning. Might we be faithful in glorifying our great God as we do this. Good morning and Maranatha.